Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Power Your Life Radio Show with host and success doc Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on Power Your Life, and I'm Joanne White, and it's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for showing up, and speaking of showing up, it's very important to know that you have the ability to get through whatever kind of challenge you have, no matter what, and... Today, we're going to talk to Lisa Lieberman-Wang, who has had so many challenges. Lisa Lieberman-Wang's life mission is to help others conquer their deepest, innermost struggles and has transformed thousands of people through her work. She's written a number one bestseller, Fine, And we'll talk about that, too, which talks about how she transformed her life from living with the pain of emotional abuse, date rape, self-sabotage, clinical depression, and eating disorders, which included six hospitalizations and a heart attack, all at the age of only 18 years old. Lisa is the CEO and founder of Fine to Fab, Fine to Fab Foundation, and NAP Coaching Academy. She's also a relationship and emotional health breakthrough expert. And Lisa created the Neuroscience Neuroassociative Programming, NAP, for people to heal in a short period of time to avoid years of shame, blame, and therapy with a proven model that can help you break through whatever is weighing you down. Using her trademark technology, she has helped thousands through her transformational programs overcome lifelong emotional challenges of depression, anxiety, stress, self-sabotage, emotional eating, and sexual abuse so that they can live an authentic life, happy, healthy, and free without years of shame, blame, or as we said before, or therapy. Welcome, Lisa Lieberman-Wang. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Great to have you. And let's kind of get back to, I mean, eight at that young age of 18, everything that you went through, many people would have given up and and looked at their lives and said, why me or what's going on? And you were able to do something, maybe not immediately, but something with that. So share that with our listeners, please. Absolutely. And I believe that that was really the beginning of the journey of why me at at 18 years old. And it wasn't until 13 years later that I had realized that I can change it all because the 18 years old was the beginning of the trials and tribulations of dis-ease with myself. You know, they say disease, I think of it as dis-ease, where 
I was I wasn't happy. I was what I called fine, which was, you know, frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And I just wanted to be fab, which is fabulous, awesome, beautiful. And I didn't even know there was a fab available in my life, let alone an option to have it. I really just thought that I was existing and that God would would only give you whatever you can handle. And I felt I was fooling him too. At this point, I was like, stop, I can't handle it anymore. So the interesting part about it is today I can look back and in hindsight and say, okay, everything I went through was preparation for what I'm doing today. But while going through it, for sure, it wasn't what I thought it would be. But I knew there was something more for me, despite all the the challenges and the abuse and things that happened. I said, this couldn't be it. God made junk and I'm supposed to be doing something more. And, and I did. And despite the fact that I was emotionally challenged um, and sometimes spiritually in business and other areas, I excelled beyond measure. People had no idea what I was doing privately and until it showed up publicly when I ended up in a hospital. And that was kind of the telling tale of, okay, she's not okay. Wow. So how did you able, how were you able to really take all those challenges? Because you had a lot at such a, such a, a young age and also within a short period of time. How did you, how did you shift it? Well, I I think one of the biggest things that ended up helping, um, one, is I had people that were surrounding me that, one, cared more than I did about me being here uh, because I honestly had a death wish. I felt like it would have been easier just to check out, and obviously that would have been a permanent solution to a temporary problem. The other thing is that I was introduced to different types of help. At the beginning, it was all traditional, everything from Overeaters Anonymous, Sexual Abuse Anonymous, you know, all these different bulimias Anonymous, all these different 12-step programs. And then it was traditional therapy. And I spent 13 years in traditional therapy and didn't find the solution. I felt like it was, a, for me, it was like having a scab and it finally heals and I go in and I rip it off for an hour. I come back, I got to get it to heal again until the next time. It wasn't working for me because I was living in all the all the problems versus the solutions. And one of my friends who's a doctor of chiropractic, uh, Dr. Turner, turned around and she had said to me, you know, Tony Robbins is coming and he's having a fire walk. He can help you. So I didn't know who he was and what that meant. And I figured, oh, fireworks help bulimics. And I had no idea what I was walking into. And I ended up going to an event that he had and happened to have been in the front row. We were walking to the fire, and I was right near Tony. And I said, will this help my bulimia? That was my moment, you know. And honestly, he never answered me. He just smiled. <laughs> so it turned out that didn't help the bulimia. But what did help was a 25-year journey that I'd been on and have 25 years of abstinence from hurting myself of understanding that I have choices. And what that meant is before I thought, why me? Why is this happening to me? What's wrong with me and everything else? And then realized that, you know, first my, the quality of my life was equivalent to the quality of my questions. I was asking the wrong question. And as soon as I started changing that question, things started changing. The other thing that made a change is my grandma um, was really, I want to use the word dying. It's a strong word, but it was killing her watching me hurt myself. 
And I had a moment where there was something that happened during these trainings where they ran you through, if you continue to do this for the next 10, 20, 30 years, where will you be? And it wasn't about me as much, you know, as where, you know, how I was hurting my grandma. And I just couldn't do that to her anymore. I couldn't hurt her. And I had to make a decision. I had, and the decision to me was to put an end to any other option. And I did. I was like, I'm going to stop this because it's one thing to hurt me. It's not okay to hurt her. And the decision also was to choose me and choose me meant to choose life and to stop living in the past, but to learn to be in the, in the present and move forward into the future. And that was the biggest turning point for me. You know, that's powerful in and of itself. And, and oftentimes when we're devaluing ourselves and there's someone like your grandmother who is in your corner rooting for you and, and you're doing whatever you need to do to to help her through that time so that she, that she's okay. I mean, many people do it that way. You mentioned something, Lisa, that is so important, the fact that we have choices, that you you recognize that you had choices. Many people don't believe that they have choices or or don't even see the multitude of choices that they do have that can free them or help them move beyond whatever their current circumstances. So so I think that's that's so very important. Tell us a little bit about your book because um, later on you can tell people how to get a hold of it and find out more about you. But tell us what's in that book because I find that very fascinating too. And we'll get into neuroscience. Well, the book was really about why willpower and all the other things I had used and quote-unquote tried over the years wasn't working, where I figured, okay, I'm going to stop doing this to myself. I'm gonna, I was a compulsive overeater. I used food to feel better, which meant, you know, if I was happy, sad, elated, angry, frustrated, didn't matter, food was the answer. And I was consuming in excess of 18,000 calories a day. And I know because I once figured it out and I was not just binging, but I was purging. So it turned out that I would white knuckle the thing. It's like, if you make a fist, you're white knuckling it. I'd like, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this, but I'd still end up back, you know, binging again or purging. And I didn't know how to stop it. And it was a vicious cycle. And it turned out that my worst year in dis-ease, I had spent over, this is going to blow some people away, but I said I was successful in business, but I spent over $100,000 on food. And I did not know until I was in the hospital and my business got audited and I had to have a proxy represent me and they wanted to know where the 100000 went because I took it out of my business. And it was a realization that, you know what, no matter how successful I was, there was an imposter syndrome going on. Like, if you really knew what I was doing privately, you might not have wanted to work with me publicly, right? And having all these different, you know, diets and ways to do things and all the other stuff, and nothing worked for me. And I'm like, how can I be so smart and not be getting this? I, I just wasn't getting it. So the book was really about seven secrets of a successful woman's journey away from depression disordered eating and self-sabotage because just because I chose food, there are other people who choose alcohol or spending or sex or relation or bad relationships or even procrastination, you know, not doing what they need to do. They're choosing something to keep them from doing 
or dealing with something that they don't want to deal with. And I realized that there was really a methodology after studying, you know, I had really was looking for the answer to what's wrong with me. And after I started with Tony Robbins, I've been working with him now for 25 years. I went on a journey to learn from every single person he ever footnoted in his books. So if he was referencing um, Jay Abraham or Deepak Chopra or Byron Katie or Alison Armstrong or anyone, it didn't matter who he referenced, or Dr. Bandler or Grinder or Dilt, and I literally went on a journey to learn personally from them. If they were still alive, I had to learn from them. So I started traveling around the world, learning from all the masters, all the experts in their field. And what I learned is there really is a methodology of why we do what we do through neuroscience and human psychology. And I kind of condensed it and put it in the book of the seven secrets of how to overcome self-sabotage. And no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, whatever, whatever you're using to make yourself feel better in the moment, and most of the time, the reason what we're doing, whether we use food, alcohol, drugs, or anything, is that you just want to feel better right now. And you as a doctor know, and, and as Dr. Virginia Satir says, that every human being will always return to familiar. And if you don't have another vehicle to replace it with, we'll find unresourceful ways to deal with our pain. And it's not until we learn how to switch that that we actually can create lasting change and to live in the present in an authentic life, happy, healthy, and free. So how does the neuroscience play into that? It ter- it's obviously, it's in terms of the brain and what goes on in terms of our thinking and our habitual behavior. But can you, can you expound upon that more for our listeners, Lisa? Absolutely. You know, I think the easiest way to relate to neuroscience is to think of a computer because we all know what a computer is, right? So if you think of a computer, it has an operating system. Your operating system is your brain. And we already know that we can program computers to do what people do. And we, so if we can program computers to do what people do, we can program ourselves to do what other people are doing successfully in that area that you want to excel in. So the computer is the operating system, and we have all these different programs we're running. Well, these programs have been running, and the, the, the studies show that 55% of our beliefs are formed by, by well-meaning teachers, preachers, guardians, and parents by the time we're five years old. Now, we also know that the other 45% were built on a shaky foundation because I know for me that my parents told me about the tooth fairy. Now, I know that's not true, but back then I did think it was. So it might have been built on a shaky foundation. I was also told don't talk to strangers. As an adult, that doesn't serve me, especially in business. I need to talk to strangers, right? So there's a lot of things that you may have been told, and I kind of reference it through the book and teaching is that beliefs are the lies we tell ourselves. In the middle of the word belief is the word lie. Well, there are things that we can't even prove. But based on those beliefs, we set a foundation and your unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between fact or fiction, good or bad. If you tell it something often enough, it believes it to be true. Its job is to help you get what you want. It doesn't want you to be wrong. So if you keep seeing and looking for what's wrong, it will find it. If you start looking for what's right, it will find that too. So through neuroscience of understanding your unconscious mind is based on the program, the operating system like a computer, and the programs that you're running, everything is a program. And all we need to do is change the program or change the operating system to create optimum performance. 
Wonderful. <laughs> so tell us about the program, the program that you came up with, the NAP, Neuroassociative Programming, that helps people heal, because that to me is is an amazing program and so important. Yes. Well, it, it certainly is. You know, a lot of times people will switch something, and I don't know um, if you can think of, I'm sure with all the people you've worked with and all the 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 stories you've heard, people will stop doing one thing to start another. So somebody says, okay, I'm no longer going to use food, but then all of a sudden they're spending or they're drinking or they're, or they're dealing with sex or other challenges because they didn't know how to replace it with something that's going to be favorable. So neurosensitive programming I put together with a business partner of mine, Willard Barth, and both of us combined have over 50 years' experience in, in personal development, neuroscience, and human psychology. And what we realized that there were really just five factors that we needed to be able to create change. And the first was to understand the operating system. And when we understand the operating system of what somebody is doing and where they're coming from, we also need to understand what needs it's filling for them. And once we do that, we have the ability to recognize that is it working for them? And if it's not, what we can do is how do you change it? And then we look for if the programs are working or if they're not working, if they're corrupt or something is wrong, we actually have the way to be able to change it. So we're looking to see um, what, what's actually working, what's not, right? So we identify the source code, what's the real problem. Then we identify the critical updates, what's in the way of getting them what they really want. Then we kind of decompile the corrupt programs and create a new upgrade. We're focusing on the communication, uh, finding out what it was serving, how to replace it, what resources they had to get there. And we, we actually install a new operating system, literally. Like we can't run, you know, IBM-compatible computers with the Macintosh, right? We got to install a whole new operating system to make the change. And then we test compatibility and debug. And when we do that, we're actually creating a change that can be sustainable through time, which is really amazing. I love it. <laughs> it just sounds so wonderful. And and again, you know, the comparison with a computer in terms of the way our brain operates and how we can can make those shifts and also how you can make the determination if about compatibility and if one track isn't working, being able to shift in gear, shift gears, that's so important. So why do you think that people Firstly, I mean, I've been through many challenges, and I believe that, that they have turned into gifts. I know they have, and they've shifted career, my career, et cetera. But why do you think many people don't come through a challenge? Because oftentimes they're there to awaken us in some way, I believe, and, and still stay stuck. Well, I think that they're getting something from it. And, you know, somebody will stay in this place where – it just becomes familiar. So if it's familiar to feel bad, all of a sudden things can be going better. I'll give a great example. How many people do you know needed to lose 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds, they lost it, and then a couple of years later they gained it back? Right, exactly. Because it's yeah. a you go, Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, I, it's, it's exactly what you say. It's that familiarity. It's, it's, and it's, it's, even though it doesn't feel good, it does feel good <laughs> to, stay, right, to right. stay, in that place, stay in that place. 
And what it is, is a trillion dollar industry because it's what's familiar, but here's why we do it. Because it's meeting our needs we might not understand. So what happens is somebody releases 50 pounds, right? And they're feeling so great about themselves. And all of a sudden, everybody's giving them attention. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to be recognized. They feel really good about. But now all of a sudden, there's something more challenging. Now maybe there's more expectations of them. Or maybe now they're getting attention they don't know how to deal with. Or they weren't prepared for it. Or there's other things that came with it that maybe that weight was, was blocking or protecting or making so that it wouldn't have to. They can hide. Now they're seen. They, maybe it was no one's going to bother me or look at me, but now they're going to look at me. There's so many different things. So the very thing we thought we wanted, we may not have at the end tested and debugged. Well, now that you get all this, how do we make sure it's sustainable, that it's going to stay that way? Because if you're not ready to create that new identity of who you are, you'll end up at the old one again. And that's why most people will gain and lose it 10 million times because they want it, but when they get it, they weren't really ready for all the stuff it gave them, and they didn't deal with the core challenges that made them go there to begin with. And it's not until we understand what needed filling and we replace it with something that will serve them, they'll continue to go through the same cycle again. You know, I, I find that to be true, too, with, with, in my coaching practice. When I've asked people, okay, why are you continuing to do this? How is it serving you? Initially, I get a puzzled look. What do you mean it's serving me? I mean, right? <laughs> but, but it's not serving me. I want to get rid of it. But why are it? So that is so important, I believe, for people to first identify why, are they, why do they keep doing that? What is there? Mm-hmm. What's... What's the perk in it, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it's twisted, even if they initially don't recognize it? So I think it, it's so very important. What I have a great it, example what? of that. Oh, oh please okay. do. I was going to share a, a quick example. So I was in, in my disease for 13 years, and what I found is why, you know, in hindsight, we could always see why we did what we did, Right. So what ended up happening is my parents, um, you know, my, my dad was very strict. He wanted perfect children. And I didn't know there was no such thing. So I did my best to be perfect. And his nickname for me was AH, which stood for asshole. And I would have so much preferred princess, but that's just not what I got. And the day that I ended up in the hospital and they're rushing me into the emergency room, my dad said something I had never heard before. And he may have said it, but I just never heard it before. And what he said to me was, I love you. Mm. And there was a moment in that I love you that I realized when you're sick, they're nice to you. Uh And it became, uh aha, that was the reward. Remember, what are you getting from it? So it became, I had 13 years, I stayed in dis-ease with myself because I was never called AH after that. No one was mean to me after that. Everybody was loving and trying to fix me after that. I had got so much attention, not necessarily the kind of attention I would have wanted. I would have just wanted to be princess and wonderful because I'm wonderful, not because I was sick. But I learned to stay sick because I got what I really wanted, which was love and connection, which I wasn't getting before. So why would I stay there? Because I really, I was, you know, craving love, like every single human being in the world and will settle for connection. And it was the way I got it. I had to learn how to get love and connection without being sick, without having to have a problem, 
without having to hurt myself. But it took me to realize that I was using that as the vehicle to get attention when there were healthier ways to get it. You know, it's it's so important that people recognize that even if, again, the vehicle that you were using or whatever was not appropriate for you or was really being more harmful than, than good for you, it, people stay in, in, in those places like you did for whatever, you know, for whatever reward. And sometimes the reward is so little, but it's something that we're grasping onto. So how do we end self-sabotage? Because there are many people doing that and many people staying in in whatever kinds of challenges that they're going through and they're not happy but they're stuck. Like you said, it's familiar, which is true. How do they get to a place where maybe they need to step back and say, enough, enough hurting myself or sabotaging myself? I think it comes down to the being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And in the book, Fine to Fab, and that's the name of the book, Fine to Fab, and fine actually stands for more than frustrated, but I'll let our listeners figure it out what that is. Um, It's how I used to feel, is really the seven secrets. It's the seven secrets to fab is about acknowledging fear and doubt, taking inventory of life's lessons and beliefs, breaking through the toxic meanings and emotions, breaking the trance, uncovering the unconscious patterns and behaviors, stop waiting for perfection, and making peace, practicing gratitude, and celebrating. Those seven things, and I do it through a webinar as well as in the book. And if you just want to go to seven, the number seven, secretstofab.com, I I have a 40-minute webinar that will literally take you through how to overcome self-sabotage. And it's like anything else. You need to know you're doing it, right? If you don't realize you're doing it, they're not going to stop. You need to also understand what it's costing you because if you don't see there's a variable price, you'll continue doing it. There's no reason to change it. And then realizing that you have the choice, and that's where we started at the beginning, is the choice to change it, where if you're coming from a victim stance that, oh, this is happening to me, I mean, what you just shared at the very beginning, there was so much more that happened to me that wasn't good. It, but I don't need to keep reliving it. Every time I reliving it, it's like watching a bad movie over and over again. Why would we ever waste our time doing that? You know, you know find something that you want, focus on that instead. And when you uncover the pattern and stop waiting for it to be perfect, but just take unbelievable imperfect action, it's the where when we start coming from gratitude for what we do have and we make peace for what we don't. You know, my dad was a really wonderful man, but I didn't know it because I spent more time focusing on what wasn't. And I just lost him in January and fortunately had an opportunity to make peace with him about eight, nine years ago and got to know the man. And he was brilliant and and all these other things. But, you know, he said to me, Lisa, you know, I, there was never a book on how to be a good parent. And I said, Dad, I'm sure there was. You just didn't read it. <laughs> and we both <laughs> laughed and we both laughed at it. And he's like, you know, he just did his best. And I think that we need to understand that our parents just did their best and their parents did their best. And if we're going to continue to point fingers at everything they did wrong, you can't change it. It was wrong. And, and I'm sorry it happened. But you can continue to live in the past or you can choose to live in the present and, and have the future you want. These are all choices. And it's not until we actually just take control back and say, no, I can do this. I can change this. I don't have to continue to live that way. 
that we actually will start making those changes. You know, everything you're saying is so important. And and many people, they're still into the blame game of what happened with their parents, you know. And I'm not excusing parental behaviors or or condoning whatever, but I think as as people get older, they need to be able to say, okay, so that's what happened. What do I need to do with me to not constantly blame, put that blame game on the past, on my parents, and, and and on what happened to be able to, like you said, make those those necessary choices within me that I have to to make to make the change, to make it different. And I I think that's so powerful because maybe it's just convenient to stay stuck in that blaming game, but I don't think it's, as you said, I don't think it really serves us, Lisa, and I think it undermines our ability and our our power that we do have to make those shifts. There's something else I wanted to mention, and and the word perfect and perfection has come up in – in this discussion several times. I just posted something the other day about you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be able to to see your own progress, even if it's like one step. And why why are we so fixated on perfection when it's causing more problems and more challenges to try to reach that state than is possible? Well, it's interesting because when I had wrote the book, I had looked up the word perfection because I used to be a perfectionist and I'm a reformed perfectionist. That's why I strive for imperfect action. I always take imperfect action. And the word perfection actually said a finished product. And who discerns when a product is finished? Think about a piece of furniture. Who decides that's the way it's supposed to look at the finished product or piece of wood, right? Or an art or something. It's like perfection. What standard? And I remember years ago, Tony Robbins had said, perfection is the lowest standard you can have. I was like, whoo, <laughs> that was my highest standard. <laughs> like, oh, I'm perfect. You know, I'm going to get there. I was like, that's the lowest standard. But I also did more studying and I found, which was a great, I grabbed that one, right? that I found that procrastination was a form of perfectionism. And I was like, hmm, interesting of how many people don't realize that whether they didn't think they were perfectionists or not, then not taking action might have been a, an underlying thing. If I'm not going to do it perfect, then why do it? And there's a lot to be said of, of how it's serving them to stay where they're at. It gives them an excuse not to do it because like, they're not going to do it right. So whether they realize it or not, it, it's just another vehicle they're using to stay stuck. You know, it's amazing what 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 we do to to stay stuck. <laughs> it, it, it really is. is. It is. And I, you know, I I also used to. I'm also a recovered per, a perfectionist because <laughs> really, I mean, and I'll just tell you a quick story. My father, I you know, I always wanted to please my father, and he did some he. He was a photographer, not not through his work, but that was one of his talents. And one day he took me out for the first time to, to photograph, and, and I was so anxious to please him. We spent the day, me, doing the photographing, right? We come back, Lisa, and because I was so nervous, I didn't even load the film right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Now I could laugh at it now, but the blunder and it was like, oh, oh 
oh my God, there I was. It was my my ability to prove myself, and I failed miserably. <laughs> oh, so funny, yes. And and what and what a great learning from it too of of the importance of what even failing meant. It's like failing. Oh my God! And you wanted to please them. It means he's not going to love me. And whether we realize right. that at the end of the day, that's really what ends up happening to us, right? So it's so true. I'm, and it was the 1700s when Jeremy Batham said, humans are motivated solely by the desire to gain pleasure and avoid pain. And when you think about it, you wanted to get the pleasure of saying, look, Dad, look how great I am. <laughs> and, and then not have any pain. Love me, love me, love like, me, right? Love me. And then it's like, oh, my God, there's no film. <laughs> That's pain. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Absolutely. and I'm sure you know, not everybody has that story, but we do what we need to do, just like the story that you were, you know, you were telling with your dad, to get attention and to and to have them see us in a totally different light. And yet, why? Forget about everybody else for a moment. Why can't we see? We see who we are in that beautiful light because you and I know how vast and how wonderful each individual is. Why, why isn't that something that we just know? And why isn't it something we just know? Or is it? Or the question is, how were we raised? Because I think that if you realize every single person was born perfect. Uh, I went through eight years of looking to, for fertility, and um, I remember I learned so much about how challenging it was to have children when I'm, everybody else around me was making babies so easy, and they said, well, it takes 10 million sperms to make one baby, and I'm thinking, no, it just takes one, and <laughs> it takes 10 million, and what ended up happening is for years I thought it was me because my husband had a child from his first marriage, and we're together 20 years now, we are. And I remember for years and years, it was me, and I'm going to doctors, and they're saying, no, no, you're good, you're good. And then my husband's like, maybe it's me. I'm like, no, you have a son. You're, we have Sean. It's not you. We find out it was him. And he ended up having a surgery, but it still wasn't sufficient. They said, you know, his sperm was slow, and they said, um, you need 10 million sperms. And I thought about it. I said, you realize that every single human being beat out 10 million sperms to be here. You won. You won over 10 million sperms. You're wow. already, like, you're already an anomaly. You're already amazing just the fact that you're here. But that point of, of being here and then realizing how perfectly imperfect you are in every aspect of who you are became the rules, values, and beliefs that we put on ourselves of what we're supposed to be instead of just being and I remember there was something uh, a very dear friend of mine said. She said, you know, it's interesting how people, we're human beings, and yet people judge themselves on human doing. So I think the you know, reason I you love don't see yourself. Mm-hmm. Sorry. That's just so powerful. Yes, it is, because I think the reason we don't see ourselves as, as being as magnificent as we are is because I think we have to do something to be okay and to be loved and valued. Versus just your human being, just the fact that you're here, you're already fabulous. There's something unique and amazing about you. And the reason why we don't just see that today, I really believe this, is because of the fact that we've been so conditioned to believe we had to be something more to be worthy of love that we were missing that we already are. 
you know, and it's not just conditioning from our parents. It could be from being from school, from educators, even from friends or whatever. It, it It's something that we, we take into ourselves. Wouldn't it be wonderful, though, Lisa, if we just all – if that was like the rule, everybody had to recognize how wonderful and beautiful they are, and whether you are a teacher or a parent or, or or a community worker or whatever, every interaction that you had with a child or a young adult or even an adult was to recognize and to salute and to honor that magnificence within each one of us. What a gift that would be, don't you think? And it would be, and it's something we can do. And the way you started is started by honoring yourself. You know, it's not just the people around us. The media is such a culprit for telling us what's wrong with us. And, you know, whether it's how we're supposed to look or the models or, you know, nip and tuck and do this and that, and you're not enough because you're not here or there. And you got to start turning off the news, honestly. I turned off the news about 30 years ago. I haven't watched the news channel unless I'm on it. I mean, I'm happy to be on TV all the time, but it's the only time I'm going to watch it because I don't want to see what's wrong, you know. And But the thing that happens when you can start seeing the beauty in yourself, you know, I have my clients all the time. I say, you know, I want you to have a list of 50 things. When you show up at unique as your as you know, your unique best self, what's, excuse me, when you, self, when you show up as your, your best self, what's unique and amazing about you? And I have them do 50 IMs a day. And I don't just mean saying I'm fabulous, awesome, beautiful, amazing. I mean, saying it like in your birthday suit, feeling it and believing it with enthusiasm, embodying your whole body. And I've been doing this for 25 years. And I joke because my husband wakes up in the morning and he hears me say it every day, how awesome I am, right? And he sees every morning he rolls over and he says, good morning, gorgeous you know, or high beautiful. And he says it to me all the time. And I, I kind of joke, I go, boy, it's working. He believes it now, right? But it's not about him. I believe it. I believe that I am all those things. And because when you can see it in yourself, you can see it even more in others. You know, that is such a powerful point, too, because it does start with ourselves. And and to be able to see that, and, and I do, do some exercises like that, too, in front of a mirror or walking, or and, and it's powerful mm-hmm. because we have to change that those old beliefs that however they came into us, and we have to start believing the beauty that that we are and and own it and 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 reflect it in in every action and in everything that we're doing and also in every interaction. I would love to talk to you forever. <laughs> Thank you. This has been great. I I enjoy you. I really do. So tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can get a hold of your book, Fine to Fab. And and how they can shift to become all of who they really, maybe not even to be, well, to become, but also to recognize and to honor and to celebrate all of who they are. Well, I, I think it starts with, with you. It starts with just learning to fly, which is first love yourself. And if you want to be able to learn more about how to do that, go Check out the webinar I'm sharing with you, 7secretstofab.com. And I'm going to give, give away something that I no, normally give away as well. And I'm going to give away my book. So if you really want to be able to create the change, it's more of a, 
a workbook. It gives you exercises to do after each step to really start creating that change. You can go to fab, like fabulous, fabvipevent.com. It's only going to be up for a couple more weeks. I was just on uh, Inside South Florida, and I offered it on TV, so I figured, okay, it's still up, so I'm going to make it available here. You can find me on social media under Lisa Lieberman Wang. I'm the only Jewish Chinese woman with that name. And also check me out on LisaLiebermanWang.com and findthefab.com. And if you find that what I'm sharing is really making a difference for you and you're still challenged dealing with depression, disordered eating, or self-sabotage, and you want to take your life personally and professionally to the next level, uh, connect with me. Let me know, and I will set up a discovery call to see if and how I can help you. So that will be the answer. Wonderful. I love it. Lisa, you are a gift. And thank you so much for all that you do for yourself and for all the wonderful people. Do you have any parting words for our listeners before we close? Well, the parting words for the listeners is to tell you that you you deserve to be happy. And that might sound a little small, but it's a really big one. You don't have to wait. I don't care if you're 30, 50, 70 years old. You deserve to be happy. And you can start now. I remember I had a client who came to me, and she was a judge in her past life and, you know, her first life, and then ended up shifting careers. And everything was black and white, and she didn't know that she can actually create change. And I used to say to her, there's a rainbow of colors out there, and she thinks there's only two. And the short story is after she had gone through Find to Fab, I run a 10-week program and weekend retreat, she ended up um, said to me, she came for a smile on her face, and she left with one in her heart. And that Mm. year she found out she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And cancer comes from self-hatred, just so you know. Right. And she, that last year was the best year she ever had. And she taught me more about life than I think I had learned on my own in the way she lived it so miraculously. And so the thing is, you can choose to be happy is what I want to leave everybody with. And, and, and I that's also want to thank you for doing this. My pleasure. And it's so important because, like you said, it's it's important to be happy, and it doesn't matter when you decide to do that. I once worked with someone who came to me who was in her 80s, and she was like mm. 86 years old. And I thought, wow, I mean, and, and she did, did, you know, she was prepared to make the change, whatever it was, to to shift her thinking, her ideology, and, and to see herself in a more beautiful light. So you are a beautiful light, and thank you so much, Lisa, for all that you do, Lisa Lieberman Wang, and have a beautiful and blessed day. Thank you, and you too. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks again. So think about what Lisa said, because you do. Firstly, it's about choice. Decide that you're ready to let go of that perfection game because it is a game and it doesn't really serve you and take the steps that you need to really see and honor the magnificence of who you are. And if you're not doing that now, make sure that you do that and take a little step in that direction. You have the ability, the wherewithal, and the choice to change yourself, and to power your life. Thanks so much for joining us, and have a beautiful day, evening, wherever you are. 
You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.